my vacation refreshed. Amen. I'm ready to rock and roll for Jesus. It's good to see everybody here. Thank you for joining us on a Thanksgiving weekend. Hope everything went well with your family. Also listened to the service and I heard how well it went. And so thank you for supporting the team as I was gone. Jared and the team did an amazing job. Today I want to have a series ending grand finale for our Worldview series. If you're new, the Worldview series has been focused on how we see the world. And there was a time when I actually thought to myself I was going to go through every single major competing worldview and cut it down in Jesus' name. But I began to pray and seek the Lord, and I just felt like that wouldn't be beneficial. I don't want to talk about Islam here for an hour, and then Catholicism for an hour, and then et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to do that. I want to talk about Jesus, amen? And so what I want to do is show you today how quickly the acts of God's Word cuts down the false teachings of the worldviews of today. And I'm going to give you the scripture that teaches us about the acts of God's word cutting down these weeds and these bad trees. Has anybody ever used a weed whacker before? Have you ever seen a weed talk back to that thing? No, it just goes flying, doesn't it? Has anybody ever used a machete before? Anybody old school? Come on, I've been to Mexico. I've been to Chilapa, Nayarit. I've seen the machete. I've seen how to... Do the weeds talk back to that machete, Lewis? No, they don't talk back. They just go flying, don't they? The acts of God's word is at the root today of every major competing worldview, and it is cutting it down in Jesus' name. The word of God is sharp, the Bible says, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it cuts it down. So go back with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, because I want to review the entire sermon series and then summarize it today. A worldview is how we see the world. As Christians, we should see it through the word of God. Romans chapter 12 says that once you become a Christian, you need to allow your mind to start being renewed. So when we talk about loving God with all of our heart, that's our emotion. When we say with all of our mind, that's all of our thinking. We have to get rid of stinking thinking. Romans 12, 1 and onward says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So you give your body as a sacrifice to God. Your body may not always want to serve God. Jesus even said, My spirit is willing, but my flesh is is weak. You'll feel this even more as you get older that your body breaks down, your memory starts to go. Your emotions are more touchy. You know, you, there's a reason why they call them grumpy old men and nagging old ladies. You know, you get more touchy as you get older. I've noticed it even with myself. Can I get an amen from Ricky over there? You get more particular, more more just you want it your way as you get older. And so you got to sacrifice your body for this, and that's your true and proper worship. As you take up your cross and you follow Jesus Jesus, verse 2 says, then you don't conform to the pattern of this world, but you're transformed, metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind. So you let your mind be changed. So the mind is what controls the body, not the other way around. At least that's the way it should be. Then the Bible says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you want to understand what your worldview is in summary, your worldview as a Christian should be good. It should be pleasing to God, and it should be according to his perfect will for your life. The worldview that God has for you, the way you put on the glasses of the word of God, should be good. It should be pleasing, and it should be perfect according to God's plan. Whatever is not good, get rid of it. Whatever you're doing or seeing that's not pleasing to God, change it. And whatever is not perfect, don't use the excuse nobody is perfect. Line your life up to the perfect will of God. That is our target, amen? The bullseye is the good, pleasing, perfect will of God. 
Now, when you live in this world and you have that as your goal, the mindset of God, you think like Christ, people are going to begin to ask you questions. Why do you think the way that you do? Peter, the great apostle, wrote to us a passage of Scripture to encourage us on how to respond in a defensive position to people attacking your worldview now. Because as your mind is being transformed, you're going to take on the sexual identity of what God told you to be a man or a woman. You're going to look at your sexual relationships according to the Scripture. You're going to behave with substance in this world according to God's plan. So you won't abuse alcohol. You won't use drugs illicitly. You're not going to be addicted to any food or anything like that. And so as you're living that way, you have a standard, a gospel-centered, cross-eyed view of the world. The world then is going to come at you, and they're going to ask you, why do you believe this way? Why don't you accept same-sex marriages? Why don't you uh, allow people to get drunk at your Thanksgiving parties, etc.? And at that point, you need to be able to defend your faith. 1 Peter 3.15 says, but in your hearts, always revere Christ as Lord. So the first thing you have to understand when you're defending the faith, it's not your faith. It's God's faith. It is what he gave you to believe. So you're revering, setting apart Christ as Lord. You have to often remember that when you're defending the gospel, it's like trying to defend a lion. The lion will be fine. It's you that needs to defend. Amen? And so we don't defend God as if he needs our help in defending. We're trying to defend what we believe for our own sake, not letting the other thoughts come into our mind, not believing their arguments over the truth of God. So we first revere Christ as Lord. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Now notice Peter goes on to say, always be prepared to give an answer. That word answer is the Greek word apologia. You're going to give a defense, not an apology. That's an English word that sounds like the Greek word, but they're not related. An apologia is a defense, an argument. So when they ask you a question, you're going to give an answer. Everybody say, I have an answer. Thank you, says always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. So if I was to ask you, why are you a Christian? Why do you do the things you do? You should have a reason. Because I believe in Jesus. Jesus has changed my life. Something simple like that, and you can go into more depth. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So if they come against you and start saying, well, you know what? You hate everybody then because you think same-sex marriage is, is a sin. You go, no, 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 no. You're slandering me now. I didn't say I hate anybody. I love everybody. Listen to the words out of my mouth. I love LGBTQ community, but I hate the sin. I love adulterers, but I hate adultery. You see how you now you change the script on them? You don't let them slander you because you said things wrong. You say it right, and if they still do that, that's on them. They should be ashamed that they say that about us. Are you listening? If somebody says about this church, we don't love those outside of our church or outside of Christianity. They're liars. We love the whole world. That's why we go out and preach. If they say we don't love the Muslim, they're lying. I love the Muslim. How many times have I said it here? I wrote a book for them, helping Muslims see Christ and Christianity. But what I hate is Islam. What I hate is abortion. The Bible literally says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. So give them a clear answer. Do that with a clear conscience, with Christ as Lord. And then if they speak against you, let them be ashamed. Amen. 
And then lastly, we go on the offense. So just in review, we renew our minds. We get saved. We have the mind of Christ. Then we go on the defense, put up our shield against the attacks that they have against us. And then we pull out the sword of the Spirit and we demolish and destroy and bring to pieces what they believe. Do you understand? So if you're on your job and they're saying, well, why do you believe this? And they're attacking you. Why do you believe this? And you give them an answer. You give them an answer. You give them an answer. And then you pull out your sword. Now, why do you believe this? Whap. Why do you do this? Whap. Why do you think this way? Whap. And you destroy their worldview in love, just like Jesus. And they may want to crucify you just like they did Jesus or stone you like they did our disciples, but you preach the gospel anyways. You have courage and boldness, amen? Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So we are in a spiritual battle. It's not a physical battle, but a battle nonetheless. And we do have weapons in this war. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So we do not use the sword to spread our religion. We do not force people to believe what we believe. We use the teachings of Christ. Look at what it says. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. As I've said before, if I used a physical weapon to make a Muslim go to jail and try to convert him, have I really demolished the stronghold of Islam? No, that's why communism never works. When you force people to do something, they're always going to revert back to whatever they want to do. And the more you tell them not to, the more they're going to do it. If you really want to see something brought down and destroyed, is you destroyed the actual mindset of it. If you want me not to be a Christian in China, don't keep throwing the pastors in jail. China's going to keep growing in Christianity because we're going to look up to them as heroes. Debate us in public in Mao Zedong and uh, um, Tiananmen Square with people like Mao Zedong and let the world see whether or not we're right or wrong. Come make a fool of us and see what happens. That's why the Christians have always gone to the marketplaces, to the arenas. We'll fill it up one way or another with revival or the animals eating us alive, but we'll fill the stadiums in Jesus' name. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. We love people, but we demolish their arguments. No mercy to lies. No mercy to wickedness. Do you understand? There is no godless pity for stupidity and false belief in this Bible. There is no godless pity for you. Do you understand God's pity and mercy comes to those who bow their knee at the feet of Jesus? The Bible says that the wicked, the rebellious, after many rebukes, as they are stiff-necked, will be broken beyond repair, but the humble will be lifted up and sustained by God. Do you understand? There is no pity for you if you reject Jesus Christ. We love you, but you will find the truth out on Judgment Day. So I will have no mercy, no compassion on your false worldview because the sake of your soul, your soul is at stake. I want to demolish it in front of you. I want to show you how ridiculous it looks. I want to show you how glorious God is. In other words, I want you to literally see your false view as dung in the sight of our God. And is not that what Paul said? Everything is dung except for me to know Christ. So I love people enough to tell them they're wrong because it's truth over feelings. Amen. We demolish arguments. See, look at the words here. He could have said we just patty cake with arguments. It says we, what does it say? We, say it like you're up. We demolish arguments. We demolish them. We don't play with them. We demolish them. 
and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. You have an argument or you have a pretension, just a thought you're thinking about. We will demolish it in Jesus' name. And we take captive. We don't play with it. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. You do that personally and you do that corporately in a culture and see what God will do. Amen? When we look at the Christian worldview, I made a little chart for you guys to take a look at it. It's basically how we are going to go forward in this. We're going to have a foundation of God's word. That's our axiom. We'll then have our presuppositions which conform to our worldview through the word of God and give us the parameters on how we're going to see everything else. That's the Trinity. God is triune. Creation of revolution. Humanity is sinful since the fall. Jesus is God in the flesh. Salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone and God will judge the world. When you see the world this way, everything else starts to make sense. Can I hear an amen? And I have no problem going axiom to axiom. You want to put the Quran up there? You want to put the teachings of the Pope up there? You want to put the watchtower there? You want to put Utah and the Mormons up there? We will demolish their foundations. You will find out that every non-Christian worldview is nothing but sand to the rock of God's word. The Bible said, Jesus talking, you hear these words and you don't put them into practice. You are like a fool building your house on sand. That Jesus said that. You hear these words of mine and you put them into practice. You're like a wise man building your house on a rock. Do you want to be a fool and build your life on sand or do you want to build it on the rock of God's word? On the rock of God's word. And then what we're going to do today is the propositions, the judgments that we deduce from the Bible. The judgments we deduce from the Bible are not our judgments. They are the judgments of God. The Bible says in one place in Matthew, judge not lest ye be judged. For the same measure you judge others by you yourself will be judged. That teaches us against man-centered false judgments. You do that, you're in trouble. But then in John it says, judge righteously. Is there a contradiction in the Bible? No. The Bible is teaching, make the judgments that God makes. You make the judgments man makes like Pharisees and false religions, you're going to be in trouble. Judge the way God judges. Make the the judgments or decisions or your final thought on something through the word of God. Can I hear an amen? And then the last one, those, top, those bottom three are where we have certainty, and you need to be certain of these things. And then the top of the triangle is our best guesses. Science is the best guess. We're always getting closer and closer to understanding more and more about something, and the more we know about it, the more we can use it. The more we know about electricity, the more we can use it. The more we know about engineering, the more we can use it. But we're never perfect in that knowledge. It's always our best guess. And then experiential claims are things that we experience. The more I experience my wife, the more I get a best guess of how to treat my wife. I'm not perfect at understanding my wife. I'm experiencing her every day. Experience and science are important, but they are not foundational. I must filter my experience with my wife through the Word of God. I must filter science through the Word of God. Are you listening? Come on, somebody say, I'm listening. Amen. So now we're going to go through the major judgments of the Scripture so that you can see the competing worldviews and how they get cut down. Would you go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 10, please? Next month, I want to start a series on Thus Says the Lord. Thus Says the Lord, a study in the prophets. Amen? We're going to go through some of the prophets of the Bible, most of the minor prophets, 
uh, are going to be minor prophets, but for Christmas, I'm going to go to Isaiah, you know, some popular scriptures there, but we're going to get to Habakkuk and Zechariah. It's going to be some powerful preaching coming from those prophets, so y'all get ready. That's going to be next month, so come uh, starting next week, you'll see the new series, but let's cut down these views. Look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 10. John the Baptist is preaching before the first coming of Jesus, and this is how we should preach before the second coming of Jesus. He says, the axe is already at the root of the trees. Where is the axe? It's at the root of the trees. It's already there. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the what? Into the fire. Is there any guess here what happens in life? No, if you're not a good tree, you get what? Cut down and thrown into the fire. So how serious should we take our lives? You know, you may think that this church is a casual church, and therefore we don't take the things of God seriously. That's not true. You may think because Joe and Nancy and the pastors here are so nice and so loving that we're not serious and intense about certain things. That's not true either. And don't get the other side twisted and think because we are so serious in a message like this that we're not full of joy and the peace of God. We can have both. We can have the grace and mercy and love and shalom of God and also the truth, the passion, and the radical um, tenacity to see the world change. The Bible teaches us that at the end of the day, when the last day comes, the judgment's going to come and people are going to be like trees. This is an analogy. And those who have not produced good fruit are going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. In another part of the Bible, it speaks about them being treaded upon and crushed. In another part of the Bible, it talks about them as being weeds. In another part of the Bible, it talks about them being chaff, that which comes off of the wheat. You shake the wheat, and the chaff flies off that little part that kind of goes around it, and then you have the wheat left. So whether the Bible refers to the sinner as chaff, or as a weed, or being trodden by God like grapes, or thrown into the fire like a tree you don't want. The illustration is simple. God will cut you down if you don't do what he asked you to do. In our culture, we don't like that. We don't want to hear about God cutting us down. We want to hear that everything in our life is just awesome and God's going to take it, you know, because he should be happy we at least believe in him and that we do religious stuff and all paths lead to him anyways, right? But the Bible's very clear that the axe is already there ready to cut you down if you're not right. If you are right, the Bible says he's there to prune you, John 15, so you bear more fruit. All of us are getting cut. Some of us will get cut and thrown into the fire. Other of us will get trimmed so we can bear more fruit. Which cutting do you want? Do you want to be cut down and thrown off into the fire, or do you want to be cut and pruned to bear more fruit for Jesus Christ? As we come into the worldview understanding of this, the idea is some of you may just need some pruning. You may just need some ideas cut off of you as I go through them now, and you may just have to get some of that bad branches cut off of you. Straight. Amen. Glad you're here. Others of you may see yourself today as being cut down entirely if you were to die. Therefore, repent and be born again. Be made a righteous tree. So what I want to do is give you two sets of trees, religious trees and lifestyle trees. Let's talk about the first religious tree that's going to get cut down and thrown into the fire, Islam. Now, if you notice, I have a lot of red here. That means those are links to the best websites that you can learn Islam about, So, like I, to learn more about Islam. So like I said, it was a choice between taking each one of these for a week 
or just knocking them down right now. And I just figure, you know what, I don't want to talk about Islam for 45 minutes on a Sunday. I like doing that in a, an apologetic class for Bible college or something like that or a Bible study. But I like to come to church and get encouraged by the Word of God. Amen. I don't want to keep hearing about these sinful people. So I'm just going to cut them down in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to go back and research them, hit on all these links. So what is Islam in a nutshell? It's founded by the prophet Muhammad, who was a violent, false prophet that lived a very immoral life and was most likely demon-possessed. Any other questions? <laughs> That's basically who he is. That's the founder of their religion. 600 years after Christianity, a man says he heard an angel speak to him in a cave and became suicidal. Sounds like demon possession to me. Then that demon, or angel, in his words, the angel Gabriel, choked him and told him to start reading from a scroll. And he said, I can't even read. So after he was suicidal, feeling that he was choked, he thought that was a good idea to start listening to that spirit. As you read through the life of Muhammad, you'll see that he was tormented by that spirit slash angel the rest of his life until he was poisoned by a Jewish woman and killed. He was killed by a Jewish woman because he had slaughtered their people. He had many wives. The youngest was six years old when he married her and nine years old when he had sex with her. He was a pedophile false prophet. He came 600 years after Christianity, used the books of the Bible to be a cult leader, to get a reputation among the people, but then violated everything the Bible taught. And so when you look to the scriptures of Islam, the Quran, what you find is an entirely different Jesus. And so what I want you to understand is if you can get one point across to a Muslim, that is they have the false gospel and the false Jesus. Now if I was to ask you, what's the number one important thing about Jesus the Bible makes clear, what would that be? Shout it out. Somebody said the Son of God. They deny he's the Son of God. What else is an important thing? Resurrection, they deny that. And what else is a very important thing? We have it everywhere in this church. We have it everywhere on our T-shirts. What is that? The crucifixion, they deny that. Now, if you deny Jesus being the Son of God, was crucified and resurrected, do you have the Jesus of the Bible anymore? No, look at what Surah 4, 157 says. For they say, indeed, we have killed the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of Mary, the messenger of Allah, and they did not kill him, nor did they crucify him. But another was made to resemble him. Another was made to resemble him to them. And indeed, those who differ over it are in doubt about it. They have no knowledge of it except the following assumption. They did not kill him for certain. So they are certain in the demonic revelation here that Jesus was not crucified. Every single historian, secular Christian is certain Jesus was crucified. So who are you going to believe? A demonic-filled prophet 600 years later or the Gospels, all four of them, the writings of Paul, the writings of Peter, the book of Acts, all the historians who were around at that time, the church fathers? Are you going to believe them or some guy who said he heard from an angel in the middle of a cave somewhere 600 years later? But guess what? Our Bible has an answer for this, doesn't it? Our Bible has an answer in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. This is where I start with the Muslim. Who came and visited your prophet? Oh, you say an angel, angel Gabriel came and visited him. Look at what my Bible said 600 years was a warning to people. Verse 8 of Galatians chapter 1. But if even we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. 
As we have said already, so I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's what? Curse. So what is Muhammad according to the Bible? Cursed. Does that angel come from God? It could not have. Did not the Bible teach us by the same author that even if an angel comes to you, uh, uh, even if a spirit comes to you appearing as an angel of light and tells you something like this, not to believe it, because even Satan can do that? So it's very clear our gospel is changed in the Quran. The gospel is the center of our Bible. It's that simple. It's cut down. Now, they'll try to start attacking your Bible and say it's been changed. And you can tell them you don't have permission to do that because your prophet affirmed our Bible and our Jesus. You can't have it both ways. Either start your own religion and say you have nothing to do with our Bible or Jesus, and now we can argue your book versus our book. Or you have to accept our version of Jesus because your prophet accepts Jesus and accepts the books by the names in Jeel and the Torah of Moses. Do you see the contradiction? The contradiction is clear. Now for them to put Jesus in their cult, they have to demote Jesus. He's no longer the son of God. He's just the son of Mary. He no longer died on the cross and did anything significant for salvation. He just taught people to worship Allah. He didn't raise from the dead. All of that's conjecture. Don't believe it. That is a false gospel. That's why they have to cut down Jesus to make him fit into their cult. And it truly is a cult. Mormonism is Islam in the, in the uh, 19th century. And Mormonism in the 6th, 7th, 7th century is Islam. They are like twins. They came along, invented other scriptures, took and borrowed our names. They have the Quran. The Mormons have the Book of Mormon. Their leaders were gross, polygamous, and violent, and liars. Joseph Smith, Brigham Young were liars and gross, perverted people, marrying children, polygamists, breaking all the laws of God. It's very simple. And both of them said they had angels visit them. Muhammad said he had the angel Gabriel visit him. And Mormons said the angel Moroni visited Joseph Smith. They're all liars going to burn in the fire without God's grace and mercy. Now, does this mean we don't love Muslims? We know. We love them enough to show them you are under the curse of God if you believe what a cursed man said. Do you guys understand that? I am not making this up. You are under God's curse if you believe Jesus was not crucified and that Allah made somebody look like him. Their best guess, they don't even know, their best guess is, well, maybe God made Judas look like him, and then Judas gets crucified because he deserved to die, and then they just took Jesus, or the Father just took Jesus to heaven. This is all a lie. We are not uncertain about it. We are certain about it. We don't have doubts about it. You have doubts about it. Amen? Know your word. Roman Catholicism, based in the false teaching of popes, traditions, and superstition. Any questions about Roman Catholicism? When you give a man the power to think he speaks as the vicar of Christ, and you give bishops the power to add tradition to the scriptures, and you give people the ability to make what they consider superstition to be a part of their religion, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to see crying saints in their statues. You're going to see people beating themselves for forgiveness. You're going to see popes living like pimps. And you're going to see wickedness all in their history. And that's the way it's always been. It's never not been this way. They're wicked, and they've been wicked. Do I love Roman Catholics? Of course I do. I love my uncles, those who are Roman Catholic. But their church is a wicked church. It's the whore of Babylon, according to Jesus. It's the woman who rides the beast, gets drunk off the blood of saints. The Bible is clear that through Paul in the last days that this would happen. 
He said starting, they would say you can't marry. They would forbid to marriage. How, forbid to marry. How is it going for priests not marrying? And how is the church handling the situation even in our day when these priests are being caught with being pedophiles? They move them from one parish to the other. Everybody will agree wicked things can happen in the church, but even Roman Catholics are waking up to it in this generation. It's a whole nother thing when wicked things happen and the leaders cover it up. And they even say these corruptions go as high as the Pope. Not my words. Some of the bishops have been calling out the Pope saying he knew what was going on. It's been going on. Popes had children. Popes had mistresses. Popes started wars. These are not conspiracies against the Roman Catholic Church. This is what they did. Now, some people always bring up the Crusades. I'll be honest with you in the Crusades. The Crusades were a defensive position against Muslims coming against Christian lands. So I don't take that one just at face value. Look through that carefully. But I do agree that the Inquisitions were wicked. They burned heretics at the stakes. They burned Jews at the stakes. They burned our heroes at the stakes because we wanted to put the Bible in the language that people could understand. Latin wasn't even used in the Middle Ages, Dark Ages, but that's what they spoke to keep the people in confusion. All I have to do is ask you, where does the Bible tell us to do any of the things that makes the Roman Catholic Church the Roman Catholic Church? The Roman Catholic Church is unique because it has a pope. Show us that in the Bible. The Roman Catholic Church is unique because it christens children. Show us that in the Bible. The Roman Catholic Church is unique because it prays to the saints. Show us that in the Bible. The Roman Catholic Church is unique because you confess your sins to a priest in a dark closet. Show us that in the Bible. The Roman Catholic Church is a false church. Now, can you be a Christian and be a part of this? This is a unique question. I would say yes because there's enough of the truth there because they came from us. They started with us and then turned into this over time that God can be merciful to those in this church, but we have to encourage them to leave. Sometimes people bring up to me the charismatic Catholics and Catholics like Father Flagger or whatever his name on the south side. What's his name? Flager and all these other good ones. Great. There's good ones. Okay. They need to leave and they need to be clear about their Protestant beliefs, which is meaning Protestant means you protest everything that's wrong in the Catholic Church. But if they stay there and pretend that the Catholic Church still has something good to offer, I have an issue with that. Most of the Christians that I know in the Roman Catholic Church are on their way out. God saved them in the midst of it because they do believe in the Trinity. They do believe in Jesus. And some of them adopt the position that we believe, which is by faith, they are saved. Council of Trent came about in the 1500s as a response to the Reformation as we were breaking away from the wickedness of this Roman Catholic Church. They were very clear how they disagreed with us. Listen to what they said. Chapter 9, for even as no pious person ought to doubt of the mercy of God, of the merit of Christ, and of the virtue and efficacy of the sacraments, even so each one, when he regards himself and his own weakness and indisposition, must have fear and apprehension touching his own grace. What this basically means right here, starting from this phrase, is no matter how good God is, no matter how much he loves you, your own weakness can mess it up at any time. You must have an apprehension and a fear about whether or not you're even saved. It continues to make it point even further. Seeing that no one, excuse me, seeing that no one can know with a certainty of faith which cannot be subject to error that he has obtained the grace of God. According to the Roman Catholic Church, you cannot be certain that you are going to heaven. 
Hence the reason during the time of the Reformation they sold indulgences to get people out of purgatory. Purgatory is built upon the false belief that you're not guaranteed heaven by faith. You may still need to be tortured a little bit by God. And so they started to come up with indulgences. When the gold clings from purgatory, a soul springs is one of the things they used to say. When the gold clings, souls from purgatory spring. Purgatory was built on the lie of you not being sure of your salvation. Most of their people will go there according to them. And they went on in chapter 10 to say, do you see that by works a man is justified, not by faith only? Do you see the problem, brothers and sisters? I said, do you see the problem? Yes or no, do you see the problem? When you teach that you are not guaranteed salvation and that you have to add something to it, you have gone against the teachings of the Bible. Now what is unique is that every cult out there attacks the Roman Catholic Church and tries to put all of Christendom in the Roman Catholic Church, skipping over the Reformation. But what is true about their ignorance is that every cult has this in common with the Roman Catholic Church. They have a power, a central ruling governor power authority, and they all believe in salvation by works. The Mormon Church ruled from the top down. You can't disagree with them. And they teach salvation by works, just like the Roman Catholic Church. The, the Jehovah Witnesses have a top-down ruling authority from the Watchtower in Brooklyn, New York. Now they've moved to upstate New York. A top-down ruling authority. They all preach the same thing every single week. Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, and Catholics are all ruled top-down. And every Sunday is dictated, and all their materials are dictated by their ruling authority. And they teach salvation by works. And yet the cults want to say that Christendom is wrong for those very things. The problem is they haven't gotten rid of the Pope. They've just gotten a new one even more wicked. Roman Catholicism is wrong on all fronts when it comes to its foundations. Historic Christianity does not put a ruling central authority. We do not have a Pope in charge of the church. We put the Word of God. Sola Scriptura was what we said back to them in Latin. Only by the Scripture do we make our authority. That's why our foundation is not the Pope. It's not the bishops or the cardinals. It's the Word of God. And that's why when you look at things like this, we differ with them so much because they're not going by the Scripture alone. They're adding their tradition to it. So it says here, see... That by works a man is justified, not by faith. Could they have said it any more opposite? No. Look at what Romans chapter 4 verses 1 through 5 says. So all you have to do is ask your Roman Catholic friend, if you were to die today, are you sure you would go to heaven? And if they say, I don't know, say, I do know, and let me tell you how you can know. And then what do they say back to you? Well, I'm a good person. I've done more good than bad. That is a false gospel, my friends. You are not saved on doing more good than you do bad. Is that anywhere taught in the scriptures? Look at what it says in Romans chapter 4, 1 and onward. What shall we say then about Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. They say we're justified by works, and Paul is saying the exact opposite. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. What does catechism here from uh, the, the Council of Trent chapter 10 say? See that by works a man is justified. 
What does the Bible say? If Abraham was justified by works, he would have something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Somebody say, what does Scripture say? I don't care what a council said. I don't care what a bishop said. I don't care what a pope said. I don't care what a father said. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to him who works, wages are not credited as a gift but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So stop arguing with your Catholic relative about the mother of Guadalupe. Go to the heart of the issue. How is a person made right with God? How are you made right with God, Grandma? Come on. How are you made right with God, Uncle? Tell me, how are you made right with God? Your own teachings say you're made right by your works, not by your faith alone. Take them to the Council of Trent and show them this in my notes and say, do you agree or disagree with this statement? But, 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 I don't care what your opinion is. Do you agree or disagree with this statement? If you disagree with this statement, protest the Roman Catholic Church and join mine now. It's that simple. You agree with this? Cut out Romans chapter 4 and every other verse of salvation in the Bible by faith alone. You cannot have both. Eastern philosophies. I don't have time to go into them all. I've gotten to visit the two main countries. Some people think China is the main country for these things. China is not. The two main countries are India and Nepal. That's where everything came from. And India is where Hinduism developed over time. It is in the time of the Bible, not mentioned much, but they were just like the Greeks and Romans with false gods of varieties, with all of their rituals, doing all the pagan things they were doing. That's where they were in the Bible times. Around 600 years, even before Jesus, Buddha goes from Hinduism and starts his own version of that. Now, Confucianism and some of the others do come from China, but they're not as big as these two right here. If I was to explain all of their beliefs, I could never get it right. Why? Because they don't even agree with each other and they don't try. In Hinduism and Buddhism, they do not even use the same logic that we use. You may say, Pastor, how is that true? Are you being nice to them? Are you making that up? No, I'm telling you the truth. They do not believe in deductive logic. Now, somebody who is a Hindu may say, of course I believe in deductive logic, but their gurus, the, the Vedas, the teachings do not believe in deductive logic. You can be two opposite things at the same time, and that's why they'll talk like that. They'll tell you, what is the goal of life? To become nothing. And then if you ask them nothing, then how are you even existing if you're nothing? Well, when I'm nothing, I'm everything, and everything is nothing. That's exactly what they say. They talk like Yoda, and you think they're cool, but they're talking nonsense, that is true. I have had many discussions. Don't think I'm making this up. I have the links here for you. They don't believe in deductive logic. The ones that do are a part of a sect that is westernized. For example, the ones that I had to find to even give us a set of beliefs are westernized. They still may be living in the, the East, but they're Western-minded. The roots of their faith is illogical. The roots of their faith are not built in philosophy or things you can understand. It's purposely built in mystery and nonsensical things because that is supposed to be greater than sensical things. 
So when you talk to them about their gods, and you talk to them about these things, finding contradictions will not in any way affect their belief. When the man said to me, sitting next to me, he teaches Vipassana. He teaches it. He's one of the Buddhist instructors for teaching Vipassana, which came out of Hinduism. He literally told me the statement I just told you. I become nothing. And by becoming nothing, I become everything. I said, that contradicts. He said, it doesn't matter. I don't have to understand it. That's what I'm taught. So what do we show them? The best thing we can show them is that their belief system has zero to do with Jesus Christ and the gospel. There may be a commonality of not hurting people. And you'll see some books that try to compare Jesus to Buddha or Jesus to Krishna. And trust me, I understand the differences between Buddhism and Hinduism. Buddhism tends to see God more as a force. Hinduism is more of a person. But you can see them mixed together. They share each other's beliefs all the time. So here's what we can basically sum up today. If you were to meet someone like my neighbors who are Hindu, came from India, here's basically what they will believe, and Buddhists as well. That there is not one religion that teaches the only way to salvation above all others, but that all genuine paths are facets of God's life deserving tolerance and understanding. This is Oprah Winfrey's religion. We used to call it New Age, but now it's New Age is not so new anymore, so we just call it all Eastern religion. But the idea is there's not one way. And so Hindus have Jesus on their team. They have Muhammad on their team. They have Buddha on their team. Buddha, Buddhists have Jesus on their team, Muhammad on their team. They all share the great minds of religion. This is called the buffet style of religion. That's all you have to do is ask them this one simple question. Just ask them this simple question. Is Jesus the only way to the Father? Anything next out of their mouth other than yes gets cut down in Jesus' name. This is what our Bible says. I am the way, Jesus said in John 14, 6, and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father through me. And during this time, Buddha had already been around. The Greeks already knew of the Hindus at this time. And Jesus was very clear. Everyone who came before me and said that they were a way to the Father were a thief and a robber. According to Jesus, Buddha is a thief and a robber of men's souls being used by the greatest thief of men's souls, the devil. All teachings from Hinduism are from the teachings of the devil. It's very simple. So how are you going to talk to a Hindu of love? Hey, man, is Jesus the only way? No, man, there's so many different ways. Wasn't that contradicting? That's okay if it contradicts. It's just love. That's the only thing that doesn't contradict because they all have a little bit of love in them. Well, here, if we had a cow in front of us, we would have to see how much you love me then because you worship the cow, and that's where, uh, what's his name used to say, holy cow? What's his name? Harry Carey, holy cow. That's where it came from. So let's see how tolerant you are now. We put a cow in front of us. I get my grandpa here. He'll slaughter it, and then I'm going to have some steak. Do you still think there's no problem in contradiction? I try to awaken them to the foolishness that there's no problem in these contradictions. Jesus taught me it's okay to eat that cow. You worship that cow. Which one is right? Are you listening? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is very clear. No one comes to the Father by him. Oh, that was just for Jesus' day. No, it wasn't. Jesus said, go make disciples of all the nations until the end, and that's the only message we have. How can you reconcile this and be sensical? And so what I do is I point out that nonsense is nonsense no matter who says it. I don't care if Yoda said it. I don't care if your guru said it. It's nonsense. This is the truth of Scripture. This is what we base our life on. Either leave Jesus alone and understand that you're following spirits of the devil that enjoy your demonic worship of them, or you know you need to repent and come to Jesus. Can I hear an amen? 
There are some people in India that eat dead bodies. There are aesthetics. They take the bodies that have died. They eat them as a part of their rituals. You guys have seen Indiana Jones. There are so many crazy stories that people do in those religions. It is demonic. It is filthy. It does not belong in our worldview. Amen? Now, people ask me, let me pause here, well, what about yoga? As long as it's exercise. Anytime they give you chance or anytime they want you to believe their teachings, don't do it. And that is a trick of how they get Westerners in all the time. So be careful. There was a woman in our church going to uh, our church, and she was going to a guru that believed he was God. And she thought there was no problem. I called up their website, uh, their number, their main office, and I had it confirmed. And she still wanted to go there because she got health benefits out of it, even though the guy called himself God. Is that not stupid? I just showed you as a pastor, the man calls himself God, which, by the way, they believe, and I can just show you this. I don't want to get off onto the links, but they simply believe that the idea of the guru is that that's your pathway to God. And so that's why I'm telling you it's all contradicting. These are their websites. I don't have to lie to you to get a point across. A lie is still a lie no matter who says. I'll just tell you the truth. Tell me if this makes sense. God equals guru equals self. Does that make sense? Well, which one is which? Am I God? Yeah, you're God. Well, then why do I need a guru? Well, the guru brings you to God. But I thought I was already God. Yeah, but he's also God, and he's going to help show you more about God. How many gods are there? Oh, there's just one. See, does that make any sense? God is one thing. A guru is another thing. And the self is another thing. Do you guys understand that? But in their religion, God is what? Guru. And guru is what? Self, that's their religion. You can study that more if you want to be confused. We love them, though, don't we? We love them. I got some sad things to share here in just a moment. But let's go to Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons. Very simple. I have their own links. You can go to them. Did Jehovah Witness teach? To benefit from the sacrifice of Jesus, people must not only exercise faith in Jesus, but must also change their course of life and get baptized. They're just like the Roman Catholics. They don't have assurance of salvation. They have no proof that they're going to heaven when they die. Well, for them, they don't even believe there's a heaven. They die, they sleep in the grave until the resurrection, and they get to rule and reign with Christ. They skip the whole heaven part. That's why you can ask them, why did Jesus say to the man on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise? They try to change the Greek in that. Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, and Muslims try to change the Bible to fit their way of doing things. Every single time, Joseph Smith had his own translation and the Book of Mormon to go along with it. The, Bible, uh, the Muslims say the Bible's corrupt and the Quran has to correct it. The Jehovah Witnesses have the New World Translation. None of them can take the manuscripts we have in museums as face value because they contradict their scriptures flat right at the beginning. They contradict their teachings, rather. Do I teach? Did Jesus teach? Did any Christian in the Bible ever teach? You have to accept Jesus and change your life to be saved? Is that the teaching of the Bible? If you believe that, you'll be cut down. The Bible says you are saved by grace alone through faith alone. You are not saved by what you do. You're doing the wrong thing if you do that. The Bible said even in Galatians, if you think one good work, just like circumcision, a Jewish law will save you, it's better for you to emasculate yourself, cut your whole genitals off because you're going to hell anyways. The Bible is serious about this. Galatians, do not confuse the Bible's message on salvation by grace alone through faith alone. Can I hear an amen? Do I have a Bible up here today, good sir? I need you to get the Bible up to Galatians chapter 3. The Bible says clearly that if you believe in a work-based salvation, you believe in witchcraft. Come on, somebody say witchcraft. Is my brother not even back there today? Okay, let him know that um, I'll do it from here. But for us to get it ready for second service, brother, we needed the Bible. Look at what it says, Galatians chapter 3. 
It's very clear. Read it out loud with me. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. What does it say? Read verse 2, please. Verse 3. How much more clear could it be, friends? You're foolish. You're stupid is what it's saying. I mean, come on, guys. Can we talk adult here? Can we be adults? You're stupid. You're stupid if you believe that. That's what the what is a fool if not somebody that's stupid? And you're bewitched. Not in the funny TV show, but you're under a spell of the devil. Take this serious. I love my Mormon friends. I really do. I love Jehovah Witnesses. And why is it all of these religions won't debate us? None of them. Mormons run from us. Jehovah Witnesses run from us. Muslims run from us. I can't get one of these imams and sheikhs to debate me. They run from us. They're chickens and cowards. They walk and knock on these doors. They ride their bikes, but they stop and talk to an informed Christian. They run and hide. You know what I'm saying. You've seen me do it. You see pictures of me doing it at Boricua Fest. They're chickens and they're cowards. You know why? Because the devil's a chicken and a coward. So when they're confronted, they're like cockroaches. They want to stay in the darkness. The Bible says that. They're wicked. They're evil. They run from the light. John chapter 3. Those who are in the light come to the light. These Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, if they actually cared for us, why wouldn't they take my invitation and debate me right here in front of this church? It's my church. You get to talk to our people. If Father Tom was really right, why does Father Tom come here? Can't get a Catholic priest to debate. Most of them are chickens and cowards. Amen? Come on, somebody say it like you mean it. Amen. What does the Book of Mormon say? 2 Nephi chapter 25, verse 23. This is from the false beliefs of Mormons. This is what uh, Joseph Smith wrote down and said God gave him for magic tablets that he, he got to get and that nobody has ever seen. For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after we do all we can or after, we, after all we can do. Is that the message of the Bible, that you're saved by grace after all you can do? Yes or no? Maybe now you're wondering why I don't want to talk about this week after week after week. Some of y'all just getting fed up right now, amen. You're thinking I'm being mean already. What am I supposed to say to 10 million people who believe that? Many of us have them as friends. This is false. What does the Bible clearly say? Look at what the Bible says. I don't care what that false prophet said. I don't care what they, listen, I love you, but I don't care. Y'all get me? Y'all need some Holy Ghost boldness, amen? Can I say cojones? Can I say that here? I just did. Y'all need some spiritual cojones. Y'all need to just say, I don't care about the Book of Mormon. I don't care about the Watchtower. I don't care about the Quran. I don't care about the Bhagavad Gita. I don't care about the meditations of Buddha. Let's go right to our Bible. It's really simple. Try to cut down my scripture because it's coming after you right now. Let's go. Try to cut it down. Try. I dare you to because this thing is cutting down your tree right now, throwing it into the fire. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. How much more clear could it be? It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Adam, would you come, please? Let me go to the three lifestyle choices, abortion, LGBT, and racism as quickly as I can. 
They now shout out their abortion. You can go to the website, shout out your abortion. They're not ashamed. She wrote a post. Uh, they allow you to put posts up there of your abortion. The woman wrote it out. The title of her abortion is, uh, her shout out of her getting an abortion is, I'm not ashamed and I'm not sorry. How much more clear could the world be in its wickedness and defilement against God? I'm not ashamed and I'm not sorry. This is the picture she puts up. Look at how happy she's had two abortions. Look at how happy I am after I kill God's creation. My friends, I want you to look up at me, and I want you to understand something very clearly. This is why there is a hell. Hell is not just for Hitlers. It is for women like her. Do you understand? And if you are here today and you've had an abortion, you need to repent. Jesus will forgive you, but you must repent of murder. You must repent of murder. You can be forgiven like many in this church, but you must repent of murder. I had my abortion on a sunny Saturday afternoon. See, this is what these pastors won't preach to you. Do you understand why I have a job? Amen? Please support your local church, ladies and gentlemen. Amen? Because this is why this church is here. See, we preach it, and I read what they have here. I can't even put up the LGBT pictures. It's too gross for these children. I won't even show them. But I do need to show them what death looks like. But that will be up to you, Mom, if you want to cover their eyes. I'll give you a moment to do so. But they need to see, in my opinion, my children, to see what death looks like. The white-haired midwife who prepped me was kind and gentle. The doctor was efficient and professional. They gave me nitrous oxide, and I floated in a haze above my body for a few minutes. As I felt the fetus leave my uterus in a violent, painful cramp, I went home, slept for hours, waking to find that the nausea was gone. My body was my own again. The next day, I went picking blueberries with my friend, feeling healthier and happier than I had in weeks. What is this woman's sin? It's the sin of murder. But where does murder come from? Selfishness, pride. Be your own God. Be your own God. Create life, destroy life. You're in charge. These are the things God is going to bring up on Judgment Day to show filthy sinners. And all of us have been there, haven't we? I had sex outside of marriage. I mooned people having an abortion protest in my community. When I was going to go skateboard, we were driving by, and I saw them protesting, and I stuck out my fanny, pulled down my pants. I hated everything to do with Christianity. I can relate to this mindset, but I want to show you what the Bible says about it. There are six things that the Lord hates. See, the Lord hates things, doesn't he? Seven things that are detestable to him. There are some things that are detestable to God. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Every single one of these things is in the abortion industry. Every single one of them, God hates. And what did she do? Here it comes. If parents who want to cover your eyes, here's what she did. She mutilated human life so she could go pick blueberries with her friend. That's what she did. The child had fingernails and fingers and his or her own DNA and organs 
And that wicked, foul presidential candidate, Hillary Clinton, wanted to allow abortion to go up until birth. So you want to know why I voted for Donald Trump? Even at the worst day, he's a rapist. He's a thief. He's a racist. Okay. Your candidate was a genocidal maniac. What do you expect me to do? Because you wanted a free college education? You want me to vote for Bernie so this can happen in my generation? It will be a cold day in hell. And if you don't like it, get out of this church. Because this is my number one voting issue. Now I want to speak to the community that listening to me. You filthy hypocrites. You get upset about Central and South Americans coming to a border. You get upset, you Black Lives Matter hypocrites. While black lives are being slaughtered. Getting slaughtered in abortion clinics. We will adopt. Christians adopt. I'm tired of hearing that Christians will adopt. They are filthy liars. We do adopt. We have adoption agencies, parents waiting for your black child. You black justice fake warrior. If I told you that there was a presidential candidate that was going to slaughter 3,500 immigrants every single day and throw their bodies in trash bags, you would, you would protest. If I showed you that police officers were going to cut down 3,500 black people in our inner city every single day and dismember their bodies, suck out their brains and sell their parts, you would protest, you filthy sinner. My God hates everything you do. Do I love the sinner? Yes, but I hate the sin. You better understand this today. Abortion will be the downfall of this nation. God brought down the Roman Empire. God brought down Egypt. God brought down every child-sacrificing community. God will bring down our nation. This is despicable in the eyes of our God. And we must hate it as he hates it. Choose life. Choose life. Somebody say, help us, Jesus. Tired of hypocrites. I'm tired of people not understanding. Don't make it political. Don't ma- I don't care. You can vote for whoever you want. Vote for whoever you want. I don't care. But you listen to me. Don't you come to me with this nonsense that you could have voted for Hillary Clinton and been all right. I understand. Some people say, hey, I just, I just couldn't, vote for, I couldn't vote for Trump. I just, there's too much going. Fine. Throw away your vote to somebody. Vote for Elvis. But just vote. But that's okay. But you filthy, rotten sinner are going to tell me you couldn't vote for Trump, but you voted for a genocidal, homicidal maniac? You hypocrite. LGBTQ, to live either in support of a perverse lifestyle, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer. Here's a church in Chicago, what they have to say. Urban Village, you can check out their website. If you don't like it here, you can go there. Amen. We are a reconciling congregation and celebrate the gifts of diverse Christians, lesbian, gay, same-gender-loving, straight, bisexual, transgender, queer. Now they're putting in their polyamory. 
and every part of our life together, including lay staff and pastoral leadership. Great. You can do that. That's fine. Just don't call yourself a church because you have zero to do with the Bible. That's literally, literally like saying, we accept liars, we accept thieves, we accept gossipers, we accept slanderers, every other sin in the Bible. We accept idolaters and everything, including in our, you can be on our staff and pastoral leadership. And some of you all laugh when I say that, but you know how these churches get so liberal, they do this? One of these liberal pastors just came out and said, I don't even believe in God anymore. You can look it up. And they said, you can still be our pastor. She is pastoring a church and does not even believe in God anymore. She said, I'm an atheist. They said, that's fine. We've been enjoying your talks. And those of us who do believe in God will come here and get something out of it. Literally, there's a woman pastoring a church that doesn't even believe in God anymore in one of these backslidden denominations. What does the Bible say? It's 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? I didn't make up the list. I'll read the list, though. Do not be deceived. Neither is it sexually immoral nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. And we will have a debate with any gay-affirming bishop, any gay pastor, anyone you can possibly find. I'll pay them $100 to come and want to debate what that Greek word means. We'll debate them right now. I got so many partners that I can get here. They can bring five. I'll just bring another one. Me and my boy have been waiting for this one. Get us a gay-affirming church up in this church. We'll do it on a Saturday night, free popcorn. Are you listening? listening, and we will debate whether or not that means exactly what it says. Sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor men who have sex with other men, nor the thieves, nor the greeters, I guess they accept all of them, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, sometimes people go, well, pastor, I mean, does that mean nobody can come to church if they have these issues? No, 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 no. How do you come to the church if you're a swindler? Admitting I'm a swindler and God, can you change me? You're coming humbly. How do you come to the church as an adulterer? You don't have an adulterer pride parade, do you? Desperate house of desperate housewives, and you're going to go have a parade down the street? No, we don't have a pro drunkard parade. But look what the Bible says. Praise God, and that is what some of you were. Let's just stand up in closing. If you were one of these things, no, so stay, stay, stay seated till I call you. If you were sexually immoral, please stand up. If you ever were an idolater, please stand up. If you were ever an adulterer, please stand up. If you ever had sex with men, please stand up. If you were ever a thief, please stand up. If you were ever greedy, please stand up. If you were ever a drunkard, please stand up. If you ever slandered or gossiped, please stand up. If you ever took something that didn't belong to you, try to swim somebody out of it, please stand up. And if I, your sin wasn't named, but you know you have sin, please stand up. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed. Band, would you come, please? You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many believe God is good enough to forgive us from sins every single time? How many know racism is a sin? And God delivers us from racism. I know I spent a lot of time on racism in a previous series about evolution, so we'll just close out now. God made us from one race, the human race. Father, let's pray. Father, altar workers, would you come, please? You know I shout, but it comes from a place of tears because I've wept for my generation so many times. Father, we ask you to give us powerful weapons to tear down the strongholds of this nation. Give us the weapons of your word and your compassion 
Though we're angry at men and women's sin and we call it out, Lord, we ask for mercy before your time of judgment. We ask, Lord, for mercy. Come on, would you pray for mercy on anyone you know that's dealing with these worldviews that we just talked about? Would you put up the words as well, baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire? As we do right now, if you have to go, you are dismissed, and first service folks can come right in. Ushers, let first service folks come in. If you have to go, you are dismissed. We love you. Have a great week. We'll see you at Life Groups. I just went late, and I want to transition now. But those who are going to stay, we're going to ask God to start moving into people's lives of those we know in these worldviews. We pray for Muslims to get saved. Come on. Muslims.